With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Because study is better with play. Samsung Galaxy Tab S7 FE. Ready to make the most of your school year? The ultra-large screen gets you closer to the action, whether you're studying, streaming, or gaming. Seamless syncing lets you hand off calls, videos, files, and more to other Galaxy devices, like your phone. The included S Pen gives you a super smooth experience. Plus, choose a vivid color that shows off your personal style. Samsung Galaxy Tab S7 FE. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the Real Estate Strategies Podcast. This is a show where we get into all things real estate with some of the industry's top leaders, innovators, and movers and shakers. This is a place where we'll get into the trends, the how-tos, and the nuts and bolts of real estate investing. I'm your host, Ken McElroy. If you want to get my weekly newsletter where we keep the conversation going on the topics that we cover here, please go to www.kenmacroy.com slash news. Let's dive into this episode. Hey everybody, it's it's Ken. And as you guys know, I um, have had George Gammon on before. He's got a massive YouTube presence. We just got done with his live event at Rebel Capitalist Live where he had Jeff Snyder, Brent Johnson, Mark Moss, Jason Hartman, myself, obviously himself, and a whole bunch of other great speakers talking about the economy. But most importantly, that this thing sold out fast. He's got another one coming in January where you can just go to Rebel, uh, Rebel Capitalist Live and um, and sign up. But George, welcome to the show again. Thanks for having me, Kenny. Always a pleasure yeah. to talk to you. So, all right. So, obviously, <laughs> we knew this was going to happen, but we're going to talk about the digital currencies that are going on, right? Because I, I was, uh, my son graduated, as you know, Kyle, out of U of A. And of course, when you come out with zero experience, you know, the only thing everybody's talking about are these digital dollars, right? You know, because it's it's kind of the flavor of the moment. So why would the U.S. want a digital dollar? Because obviously China came out with one. I know a couple other countries have come out with them. And this is an interesting thing that's happening right now. Ken, it goes back to 1944. In 1944, we had Bretton Woods, and that's when we started this system that we have today. That's when the system started to evolve into what we have today. And at Bretton Woods, they decided that they were going to peg the dollar to gold, and then all of these other currencies would be pegged to the dollar. So we'd have kind of this de facto uh, gold standard. And they thought that was going to be great. You know, I think you had, I think there was actually 44 countries that were there 
that were involved in, in making this decision. But there were a couple of economists that said, well, wait a minute here. This is going to lead to some problems. One of them was a guy by the name of Triffin. And most people recognize that name from uh, Triffin's Dilemma. What Triffin's Dilemma is, or what it says, is if you have the provider of the global currency that's being used, they have to provide an excessive amount of dollars to the globe in order for the global economy to run at 100% capacity, which means they have to have huge trade deficits, which means they have to hollow out their manufacturing sector. Okay, so people like Friedman and others kind of started to understand what was going on here. And in the late 60s, they started to notice that, uh, well, a little even earlier than that, they started to notice that somehow this problem of dollars getting out into the global economy to facilitate that growth was happening without the United States running large enough trade deficits to get enough dollars outside of the U.S. and into the global economy, right? Because when you run a trade deficit, obviously we're importing goods, but we're exporting dollars, green pieces of paper. And when we export those dollars, if it, let's say the trade balance is, uh, or the trade deficit is 100 billion. So on net balance, 100 billion dollars are going into the economy, the global economy, circulating, and then it's a supply and demand type of equation. But that's giving, that's creating the bank deposits that allow those banks to lend dollars to corporations, let's say in Colombia, in France, in uh, Saudi Arabia, that may need dollars to actually conduct business. And then, of course, you have oil being denominated in dollars as well. So this all plays into one kind of formula, right? So if you've got this system, well, how are these dollars getting out? They kind of, the economists would scratch their head and say, well, I guess the free market just took care of the problem. And that's exactly what happened. And we had a system sprout out from Bretton Woods and the necessity for dollars to get outside of the United States called the Euro dollar system. Okay. Basically what that is, is banks outside of the United States that initially may have had some dollar denominated deposits creating dollar denominated loans. You see, we think today that as, as, as Snyder, our good buddy, Jeff Snyder says, you know, people think the central bank is central, but it's not, it ain't, it ain't central. It's the commercial banks. They're the ones that are central. If you're talking about the dollar, you see, the Fed doesn't control the dollar. Jerome Powell does not control the dollar. Jamie Dimon controls the dollar. You see, the banksters control the amount of dollars in the system prior to what we've seen in 2020. And I'll get into that in a moment. So what, what happened basically is this euro dollar system started to take over and supply the globe with the, the liquidity it needed to grow. Well, this system came collapsing down in 2008. That's pretty much what, why we, everyone thinks it was a housing crisis. Housing crisis was kind of just a, a, a sideshow. What was really going on behind the scenes, the tsunami 
under the water was the actual crumbling or deterioration of this euro dollar system. All right. So at the time, Ben Bernanke, they realize that, okay, now we get it. We do not control the dollar. Now we can never tell people that, but we, we understand that that's the way it works. That's why and whenever we have a crisis, the very first thing that the global elite, the central planners will do is bail out the banks. Boom, they're bailed. They never have to worry about getting bailed out. Why? Because they know they control the dollar. And if they let the banks go bust, so does the dollar. Therefore, so does the entire global economy, right? So this is the predicament they're in right now. Now, recently, what we've had is this kind of hybrid system where the, the banks aren't completely in control of new dollar supply through additional lending. Uh, the government is spending so much money into the economy through stimulus, this deficit spending, which would normally be extracted from the economy and then just redistributed, right? It, let's just say that the treasury has an auction and they're, they're auctioning off treasuries because they need money for uh, you know, infrastructure spending, let's say. So you and I go to that auction say, okay, well, I'll take a 30-year treasury or a 10-year treasury. Here's my dollars. And then they take those dollars out of the economy. They take them out of the banking system and then they put them back in. So on net balance, there's no additional dollars, right? But what happens when the government spends this and the Fed monetizes it, they're buying those, those bonds with bank reserves. Therefore, on net balance, the dollars increase. That's why you hear Powell always saying we need fiscal, 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 right? They understand that they have to get around the commercial banking system because the commercial banking system isn't creating the liquidity needed to avoid a deflationary collapse in asset prices. What's the solution? A central bank digital currency. Because then if we all have accounts with the Fed, every entity and every individual, then the Fed can start issuing debt directly into the real economy, which, oh, by the way, was Alexander Hamilton's original vision for the first central bank we had here in the United States. The Fed was actually the third central bank. So you see, if we all have accounts there, then the Fed can take those bank reserves that they can create. They get around the commercial banking system. They create more dollar-denominated loan, increasing the money supply. That gives them the asset price inflation and the consumer price inflation they need to bail out the government. That's why we're going to get us. That's why we are going to get, most likely, a central bank digital currency. Wow. Okay, guys. So <laughs> I think you probably all need to listen to that a few times. There's a lot of wisdom <laughs> right there. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So I tried to get that in there as fast as I could. <laughs> it makes a lot of sense, though. Essentially, they're bypassing the states, right? And they're bypassing the commercial banking system. Yeah. Yeah, they understand. Yeah, they get it. So they get it. And that's our money's going to be directly with the Fed. Again, we're talking about probabilities. There are no certainties. This this could, you know, might not happen. But I think if you look at the way our economy is structured right now and the dependency that we have on asset prices continuing uh, continuing to grow, and if you look at the debt burden of not only the federal government but the state governments the uh, the consumer, the corporations, th that debt has to delever somehow. And the easiest 
solution, quote unquote, is for them to create inflation. Well, what is inflation? It's more currency units chasing the same amount or fewer amount of goods and services. So if, if you're reliant upon the commercial banking system to create those currency units and they're not creating enough, because why? Because everyone's balance sheet is levered to the hilt. There's, the banks are only going to lend if there's, there's, if there's good prospects to lend to. The reason they lend the uh, money to Ken McElroy for his apartment project is because they know there's a very good chance that they're going to get paid back with interest. Well, if, Ken, if there's not a good chance that they get paid back, they're not going to lend money to Ken McElroy. Why? Because they're constrained by a profit and loss and by having positive equity. You know, they can't go insolvent. You see, the Fed doesn't have those constraints. The Fed isn't motivated by a PL, a profit and loss. The Fed isn't motivated by the size or the imbalances that they have in their balance sheet. Can they, be, can they have negative equity? I, I don't know. I would assume so. I don't know why they, they, they couldn't, right? I don't think they could really go bust, you see? So what that takes us is into a world where they can not issue credit, therefore create new dollars based on uh, credit worthiness or people's ability or entity's ability to pay them back, but they can create enough debt or dollars, create new loans, in other words, based on how much inflation we need, you see? And that's where I think this kind of story ends. And that's, in my opinion, the end game. Now, if when, you know, do we get there in five years, 10 years? I don't know. And again, we're just talking about probabilities, but I, I, I don't see how they get out. And the reason I don't see how they get out is because we've built our economy around this need for ever increasing amounts of inflation, whether it's consumer price inflation or asset inflation. And if you go back to 2008, remember when they started QE, I'm sure you remember Ben Bernanke coming out and announcing quantitative easing. He didn't say that this was going to be QE1. He just said it's going to be QE, right? Because if he would have said QE1, then that would have implied that we're going to have a two, three, four. Now we've got QE infinity, right? What's happened? And by the way, that the size of the QEs have had to continually grow. So basically what you're doing, it's like a heroin addict that needs more and more of the drug to sustain a certain level of high, right? That's what quantitative easing is. But we get to a point in 2020 where the economy and the market says, you know what, we, can't, we don't want any more of the QE, we need a new drug because this heroin just isn't cutting it. So what they do, they do deficit spending from the government that's monetized. That's why you get the fiscal, fiscal, fiscal. Well, now what we're doing is we're just creating another more powerful addiction that the economy has to this monetary stimulus. And in that scenario where the amount of money printing, if you will, has to just go exponential in order to uh, avoid complete collapse, then you, you kind of see how this most likely plays out. And the only way to get to that point is if the Fed actually does control the dollar and the commercial banks do not. Right, right. Wow. Okay. So we got to take a quick break, George, and I'd love to come back and talk about the reserve currency status because yeah. I know you, you spoke a little bit about that. Uh, so uh, right after the break, stick around. This is it. The putt to win the tournament. 
If you sink it, the championship is yours. But on your backswing, your hat falls over your eyes. Is this how you're running your business? Poor visibility because you're still relying on spreadsheets and outdated finance software? To see the full picture, you need to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system to power your growth. With visibility and control of your financials, inventory, HR, planning, budget, and more, NetSuite is everything you need to grow, all in one place. With NetSuite, you can automate your processes and close your books in no time while staying well ahead of your competition. 93% of surveyed businesses increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Over 27,000 businesses already use NetSuite. And right now, through the end of the year, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind financing program to those ready to upgrade at NetSuite.com slash C-Suite. Head to NetSuite.com slash C-Suite for special end-of-year financing on the number one financial system for growing businesses. NetSuite.com slash C-Suite. This episode is brought to you by Rad Power Bikes, designed to be a blast to ride and good for the environment. Rad Power Bikes have affordable e-bikes for every kind of rider. Get this year's must-have holiday gift at radpowerbikes.com. Okay, so George, welcome back. So uh, a while back, you talked about the U.S. dollar, and I, I've, I've seen, you know, I talked to Peter Schiff. We had him on the podcast recently, and everybody's kind of talking about, you know, is this is the dollar going to maintain this reserve status? And I think everybody's, not a lot of people really understand what that means, but right. also if, if it doesn't, uh, if we don't, uh, there's a lot that's going to be very, very different for a lot of people, right? Absolutely. Yeah. The, the standard of living will have to decrease substantially because we've got to bring back the manufacturing of the goods that we do not produce right now. And people think that we can just flip a switch like we did in World War II. It ain't that easy now. It, it's much, much different. So that would be, uh, you know, I, I don't know how we get there. They, they would have to do things that at least this administration, there's no way they do. They, they would have to reduce regulations. They would have to drop taxes. We would have to become far more competitive on a, a global level for these manufacturers to invest capital here to create the plants needed to produce the stuff. So th that's, and see, so why is that? Okay, so right now, uh, I think going back to our earlier conversation, we were talking about the trade deficit and that trade deficit means that we're importing a lot more goods uh, or services than we're, we're exporting. So if it weren't for those imports coming in, then you wouldn't see anything the next time you go to Walmart. Uh, you wouldn't see anything the next time that you go to Home Depot, there would be nothing there to buy. Right? So what happens? That means that the, the U.S. Uh, businesses would have to bid higher and higher and higher and higher prices in order to get those goods because they're still being produced. It's just the, the countries are saying, well, we don't really want to send them to the United States because all we get are these dollars and I don't really want dollars anymore. Let's go ahead and sell to you know, Saudi Arabia or let's go ahead and sell to Russia or something where I'm, I'm, their currency is a little more stable. And keep in mind, this is assuming that we've had a dollar collapse to the point where the dollar is no longer the world reserve currency. So that's a question of probabilities as well. But assuming that happens, then uh, and, and assuming it's going down significantly, you know, I would like to point out that on the DXY, which is a measurement of the dollar compared to a basket 
of other uh, currencies, most, mostly the euro. We're at about 90 now. We've gone down from 100. So it's a, a significant decline, about 10% when you look at currencies. But just going back to 2000, I believe 2011, 2012, we were at uh, 70 on the DXY. So it's not that we can't go down to 70, uh, 60, 50 and be in jeopardy of losing the reserve status. It's a matter of how quickly we go there. So if we go from 90 to 50 in a month, that's a big problem. And because then what happens is all these other uh, countries and manufacturers that are producing the goods, they don't want dollars anymore. They don't want dollar denominated assets. So they start selling to other people, which means what? Which means we have to bid higher and higher prices, which means less and less consumption, which means less and less economic, I don't even want to say economic growth, because we'd be in a massive economic depression. Our GDP would be contracting uh, significantly. But what that would force us to do, kind of the phoenix rising up from the ashes, what it would force us to do is bring manufacturing back, be more competitive, and we would have a, a horrible five years or potentially a decade. But if our central planners do the right thing, then we can come out of that where we're not the global reserve currency, but now we've got a better system as far as checks and balances, right? You know, one of the things that I was talking to Snyder about one time is this, um, this uh, privilege that we, exorbitant privilege, I think is what the economists have called it, that the United States has for being the global reserve currency in the sense that it's allowed us to keep our interest rates artificially low and we can run these trade deficits. We can uh, you know, import all of these goods. We can consume on the dime basically of these foreigners. And then we can have all of our asset prices go up. We can print all these dollars and not turn into an Argentina right? We don't see hyperinflation when we make the same economic mistakes that those other countries make. Why? Because there's so much demand outside of the US for dollars because it is the global reserve currency and oil is traded in dollars. So it, that's why these economists say that it's this exorbitant privilege. But Snyder says, well, is it? Because let's just assume for a moment that the United States dollar had never been the global currency. And we wouldn't have had to run these trade deficits via Triffin's paradox, or Triffin's dilemma that we were talking about before. What would the United States manufacturing base look like? I don't know. Maybe we'd be more like Germany where the, or maybe like Japan, where they're, they have trade surpluses. Right? That's actually what props up their currency because they've got so many fundamental problems that are acting as headwinds. That's one tailwind that they have for the currency is the fact that they produce so much stuff. They pretty much produce all the stuff that we use, <laughs> right? So Snyder says, I don't know, maybe it's not a privilege because would we have been in the same spot? But the bottom line is because we have built our entire system around the dollar being the global reserve currency status and therefore increasing overly inflating asset prices, uh, allowing us to borrow at incredibly low interest rates. There's no way we would be able to borrow otherwise, therefore consume more. Because, you know, let's think about this. Most people's uh, number one asset or the majority of their net worth is in the equity of their home, right? Well, what if home prices were 50% lower, right? That how much consumption would we have? How much economic growth would we have? How, how would that affect the economy? 
And then you got to say, okay, well, where would housing prices be if your if your mortgage was 12%? Well, just do the math on the payments and you can see how much housing prices would have to come down. And my point is, if we did not have the global reserve currency, you would not see uh, a 3% mortgage. I can, I can promise you that. <laughs> the mortgages would be closer to 10 or 12%. So that's the flip side of the argument. And that's why, you know, it, the United States is one of the only countries where we can create I don't want to say wealth. We can create additional purchasing power without having to produce anymore. Right? Think about this, Kenny. Let's say that you're a school teacher. I got nothing wrong with, you know, nothing against school teachers, but because our good buddies Kiyosaki will will we'll bash on them for a moment here. I know he would love that. Uh, so you're a school teacher making about 50 grand a year and you're in California and you just happen to buy a house in uh, 95 or in 2012 or something like that, right? Well, you, you bought it cheap. You're able to somehow get together a down payment of let's say $100,000. Uh, and let's say you bought a house that was whatever, 500, 600 grand at the time, okay? Well, now that house is worth, let's say 2.5 million, but you still have your teaching job. You see, how much, how much more productive are you now than you were in 2012? Zero. But yet your purchasing power has gone from 100,000 to 2.5 million or, or whatever it is minus the, the debt you owe, right? You see, that's what Americans can get away with that other people can't. So we, you know, we as Americans think we're so rich and oh my gosh, so we go to these countries, these, you know, they're just these third world uh, cesspools. And, you know, wh where are all the Mercedes? Where are all the BMWs? And we don't connect the dots. We like to think that's because of us, that we can drive a Mercedes because we were smart enough to buy a house in 2012. Uh, maybe, but maybe not. More so because the dollar is the global reserve currency. <laughs> so you can't take all the credit, but see, that's the, the flip side of the coin there. But uh, I think the bottom line, you know, what Schiff was probably saying is we're going to have to go through some extreme economic pain to get out the other side to where we can rebuild that manufacturing base where that eventually we will have to, uh, we'll have to build. Yeah, I completely agree. So, so now, George, we're going to jump over to premium and, and we're going to, we're going to ask you a couple of questions about where do you think people should invest based on everything that's going on right now? So right when we get back. Fantastic. So George, uh, Hey, how could people go over to your channel? I know you got a couple now. I, I, I yeah. you know, where, 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 where do they go and subscribe to some of your stuff? They can just go to George Gammon, type that into YouTube. It's just G-A-M-M-O-N. Or they can check out the Rebel Capitalist channel, which is just blowing my mind. It's getting like 35, 40,000 views per day right now, which is just incredible. Because I mean, there's no editing involved. There's no thumbnails. It's just me just hitting the record button going live and there's no professionalism. The audio is horrible. The video is terrible. Some and sometimes some with a white like castle. It. Yeah, that's right. Or, no, no, a white cloth. A white cloth. White cloth. <laughs> Probably into white I know. castle. <laughs> yeah, white. Yeah, about the same category. I was, I was laughing because I was like, you got your white cloth sitting there. You're doing your YouTube videos. They've been fun to watch, man. Keep it up. I, yeah, and as always, I, I appreciate your uh, knowledge and time. And, um, and everything you're doing on these live events. So keep, let's keep it going. 
Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Sure. Okay. See you, George. What a great episode. I hope you learned something new from today's guest. For full show notes, check out KenMacWire.com. If you enjoyed the episode, then jump on iTunes, subscribe, and leave a five-star review. Also, if you can check me out at Ken McElroy Official on Instagram for daily real estate advice. See you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.